Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Few people have had more of an impact on the holiness movement than H.E. Schmuel. He was a church statesman, missionary, evangelist, pastor, preacher, theologian, historian, and publisher. But most of all, he was a man of God. This is a classic sermon preached in 1993, just five years before his homegoing. He titles this sermon, The Godlike Power of Forgiving Love. I know you will enjoy this wonderful message. Let's stand together. I would have you move toward the front and down toward the middle. I don't think we'd be crowded, but uh, that might be more than what you'd be willing to do. Some like to be near the door so they can hit the exits in a hurry. But... Uh, if you care to come while we're waiting to read the lesson here, we'll not feel badly about it. So we're here in Ephesians chapter 4, and Paul is writing in his inimitable way, and he's talking about being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and he tells us in verse 25, 24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, and he tells us what to put away. And then uh, he gives further instructions for this new man in Christ Jesus. Tells us not to make any place for the devil. Don't let any evil or corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then verses 31 and 32, he comes uh, to the heart of the inner light. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You may be seated. Uh, this section in Ephesians, of course, is written to newborn babes in Christ who have come out of a heathen culture. And he tells them what to put off and what to put away. He tells them how to behave. And you know, really, all of us have come out of a heathen culture. And now we're in the Christian culture. And it doesn't take some time to make that transition from one to the other. And I may have a little more to say about that later on. But he's especially after the center of life. And that is the heart. And he's talking here about uh, bitterness and wrath anger and clamor and evil speaking. Let it be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another. And I like that word tender-hearted. Isn't that a beautiful word? Tender-hearted. We could stand more of that. I could stand more of that and be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. This afternoon, I'd like to call your attention to that phrase for giving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I'd like to talk a little while about the God-like power of forgiving love. This theme of forgiving love is one that's close to my heart because I understand it's close to the heart of God. If you want to understand what God is like, understand forgiveness. If you want to understand what God is saying in this age, understand forgiveness. Understand forgiving love. We are never more godlike than when we are forgiving. Amen. We are never more godlike than when we're demonstrating forgiving love. 
God has given us a lot of things, a lot of power. In creation, he gave man the power of reproduction. He gave him the power of dominion. But one power especially he gave us and has given us, even to this day, and that is the power of forgiving love. I have it within my grasp, by the help of God, to forgive. You have within your grasp the power to forgive, and that is a God-like characteristic. The idea of forgiveness did not begin with you. It did not begin with the Wesleyan manual. It didn't begin with anyone you know. The concept of forgiveness began with God. And so when you forgive, you are God-like. You are like God. Amen? And when you fail to forgive, when you refuse to forgive, you're never more like the devil and his relatives than you are when you harbor deep, bitter unforgiveness in your heart. There are two anxieties that dominate every life, and one happens to be our anxiety over an unchangeable history. There are some things we cannot change in our history. I can tell you stories about where I came from, and they wouldn't be pretty. Bobby uh, Golding told us some stories from his history, and that story wasn't pretty. Didn't give us a pretty picture of his father. Didn't give us a pretty picture of his home. Didn't give us a pretty picture of himself. And uh, that's one of the anxieties that dominates our, our past. There are some things in my past that are none of your business. And there are things in your past that are none of my business. And I don't want anybody poking around. If I want you to know something, I'll tell you something. Amen. There are some things in, in the past, all the things in the past, everything in the past, my past has been forgiven as far as I am concerned. They're all forgiven. I thank God for that. I came to that realization when I came to Christ and when I came to the cross and the things that I couldn't control, he forgave, and the things that I couldn't control, he forgave. And so I forgave all my yesterdays. And we all have yesterdays, and we all have things that we just as soon not have anyone know anything about. I can tell you little uh, episodes and little escapades out of yesterday in school and, and in life, but basically the great idea of life is, what will I do with my past? And my past is all taken care of by the blood of Christ. The second anxiety is an anxiety we all have with us this afternoon, and that is our anxiety about an unpredictable future. We do not know what tomorrow holds for us. I have no idea what it holds. I have no idea what it holds for me as for the matter of sin is concerned. I don't plan to sin. I have no intentions of sinning, but I may. I hope that's not too shocking or disturbing, but that's the truth. And you may also. As I look over the, our number from time to time, there are some that have fallen by the wayside. And they've fallen by the wayside because they've been entangled in the affairs of this life. They've fallen by the wayside because they've been cold and indifferent and indulgent and they have lost the grace of God out of their heart and out of their life. But I would like to tell anyone that's here this afternoon that no matter what, uh, how you've been overcome or how you've been surprised in some sin, uh, we, have, uh, we have eternal security. Eternal security is written into the book of God. You, you do not need to miss the city of God. You need not come short of the gates of pearl. Amen. Even though you fail, even though you fall, even though you sin, let's use it as strong as we want to. Nevertheless, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when a believer stands up and says, I intend to see the inside of the gates of pearl, 
I intend to see Jesus and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the rest. Uh, they are declaring a very sensitive and a very sensible and positive prediction concerning the future. Now, they are not saying, I am not going to sin, or they are not saying, I may not sin, but they are saying that no matter what may come my way, my face is set like a flint toward the city of God, and if I stumble, I bow my face toward Calvary and say, I am sorry. I beg your forgiveness, my Father. I want your pardon upon my heart. I am sorry that this ever happened, and by the grace and help of God, I will never do it again. That's eternal security to me. Is there anybody here that has ever had to use First John 2.1? Anybody here ever have to use that? Anybody here ever have to go to the advocate? Anybody here ever have to come to God and say, I am sorry, Lord, I failed? How many here ever made a great big uh, vow to the Lord? Lord, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give more. I'm going to stay up five nights out of the week. I'm going to give up two-thirds of my meals. It looked like Alan Brown has. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to do it big, you know. And they're, they're going to get, they really mean it. And then they come short and they fall down. What do they do? What do you do? What do I do? I say, Lord, I'm sorry. In my humanity, in my rush to be pious and holy and sanctified and just be everything everybody thinks I ought to be. Anyhow, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I haven't been able to live up to it. I've gone to sleep sometimes when I should have been praying. And I, I've got caught up in other things when I should have been more busy in your work. And I want you to forgive me. Is there anybody here? If there, is, if there isn't anyone here this afternoon that has never had to do that, would you please stand? That's good. Good thing you're sitting down, Brother Broadway. Broad, got you out of the got you out of the Smithsonian Institute this afternoon. Well, when I do wrong, the Holy Spirit puts a long play record on it and says, "Fix it up, fix it up, fix it up, fix it up, fix it up," and I fix it up. Or it says, "Apologize, apologize, say you're sorry, say you're sorry, say you're sorry." Amen. And sometimes it's to my wife, and sometimes it's to my children, and sometimes it's to some people who just tried me to the limits. But I do it. Well, why do you do it? Well, I do it because I feel like it. I feel like I, ought, I better do that. I, feel, I do it because I want the birds to start singing again. I do it because I know something needs to be taken care of down inside. But uh, there's one thing that would help our movement to go onward, to go forward. Amen. That one thing would be the removal of the hurt feelings and uh, uh, to help us and safeguard our marriages by saying, I'm sorry, I want to ask your forgiveness. It would take care of the ulcers uh, that are bleeding us white. It would take care of the lingering, malignant unforgiveness that is so characteristic of so much of our people at times. And so there's nothing we need more than forgiveness. And if there are a lot of young people here, I'd tell them this afternoon, kids, you're going to have to have this the rest of your life. You boys and girls are going to have to have this from here on out till you lose your hair and your teeth and most of your senses as well. You're going to need forgiving love from here on out to the gates of pearl. You're going to need forgiving love no matter how well sanctified you are or no matter how well glorified you are, no matter how well glorified you think you are. You're going to have to have forgiving love from here on out. And I have to confess to you that there are times when dumb people or just people or ordinary people or some kind of people get to me where I have to say, Lord, give me another dose of grace. And sometimes if I, in a moment of rashness or failing to truly understand the circumstance, I have to go back and say, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. I did not treat you as a brother. I did not behave toward you in a Christian manner. Amen? Amen. Treating a brother in a Christian manner, my friend, is part of being in, in the Christian culture. And sometimes I have to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I want your forgiveness. I read something a while ago that you don't read very often about big men. said that D.L. Moody was in a large auditorium about 20,000 people were gathered there, and a young man was carrying on and creating quite a...
Aaron Moody, who was a big man. He weighed well over 200 pounds. A big portly fellow had a big bay window, and he wasn't used to having anybody monkeying around in his services. And he, he called this young man to settle down. The young man did not settle down, and Moody walked down off from the platform and out to there. Uh, I'm sorry. He called him down two or three times. A young man paid no attention. Moody walked off from that platform and went down and embraced him and asked his forgiveness and then came to the platform again and continued with the service. The important thing is that Moody, in the midst of the, and in the tensions of a public service, uh, was highly irritated. He did something unchristlike. He said something unchristian. There was an ugly, uh, there was uh, an ugliness in his attitude as he handled a very public problem. But there's also something very godly there. And the godly part, the Christian part, the sanctified part, was when Moody got back and said, Folks, I want you to know I asked that young man to forgive me because I used some language I, I, publicly here. I told him to sit down, to behave himself, to be orderly, to be mannerly, not to carry on like an animal. And I told him, and you heard me say what I said, and I want you to forgive me for talking to him that way. And I went down there and asked his forgiveness because I wanted him to forgive me for talking that way. Well, I say that's the way it ought to be. People wonder how you stay sanctified. That's how you stay saved. That's how you stay whatever you are. Call it anything you want to. That's how you stay there. That's how you keep what God has given you. You don't keep it any other way. Forgiving love helps us to reestablish broken relationships. They help us rebuild broken relationships, helps knit together. Have you ever had the privilege of looking at an x-ray where it shows a broke in the, in the body uh, uh, in, or in the bones, and you see the fibers reaching toward one another, and they're reaching out. They're not together yet. They're not knit together as they will be, but they're in the process of coming together. And it's such a beautiful picture to see uh, these little fibers reaching out toward one another. That's exactly what uh, rebuilding and reconciliation uh, means in the building of broken relationships. Sometimes among the best of us, the best of God's people, things need to be fixed up. Now, don't shout me down here, but this is true. Sometimes the very best of God's people need to humble themselves and to say, I'm sorry. They need to ask forgiveness. I had a, the privilege of having some uh, big shot in my home some time ago, and he was relaxed in our lovely home and atmosphere, and he was unloading about some things, and I said, you know, I, uh, I said, I'm not, you're doing the speaking here, and I'm not the preaching, but you seem to have some, you seem to be carrying a lot of excess baggage with you, a lot of junk you're carrying around about your movement and about your church, and I don't know if you've really forgiven them yet. And I just want to say that right here to the rest of us. It seems as though when we start carrying a bunch of garbage around and a lot of things around, I wonder if we've really forgiven them yet. Is anybody listening? Or maybe you've all gone home early today. Well, I don't know. But I tell you what I'm interested in, Brother Fay. I'm interested in the holiness movement coming back where all these little fissures, where there's been brokenness, where we're sort of, you see them, Paul, they're sort of reaching out. You can see they're growing. They're coming. I see some good things happening. I, uh, my biggest trial is with these characters that don't see anything good happening, that don't see anything positive taking place. These, uh, these pill pushers who are looking, have some, they need Jack Kevorkian from Michigan or someone else to sort of step in and help them on with the process. They're doing us any good. Uh, people that don't have any hope and don't have little or no future and are always bashing somebody. Friends, our hope is in God, not in Washington or not somewhere else. Our hope is in the living God, the true and the living God. Amen? It's not in our leadership. Pierpoint's a good guy. French is a good kind of a kid. And uh, Whitaker's all right. These people are fine. But our hope is not in this, in them. Our hope is not in man-made leadership. It's not in the human ability or talent. Our hope is still in God where it always has been. Amen. And it won't be the end of the world if Alan Brown dies or Paul Pierpoint goes to heaven or Harold Smoole goes to the city of God. It won't, it won't be the end of things. You'll be surprised how things will go on. It may be even better. And some places, sometimes people think it's even better.
Forgiveness certainly means the rekindling of, uh, of uh, the fires of fellowship, even from the ashes of misunderstanding. There have been misunderstandings. Don't sit there looking so pious at me. I know better. You guys down there and some of you sisters with your buns on your head and your long sleeves and long tongues and all the rest that go with it, uh, you look pretty saintly to me. Uh, you, you'd, you'd fool me. Well, you don't fool God. We don't fool one another. And there's nothing we need more than anything else than to rekindle the fires of fellowship. We've been so accustomed to cutting out from this and cutting out from that and dropping this and leaving the other, doing our own thing and showing our independence and being as independent as a hog on ice that we fail to understand the necessity of, of mending the broken fellowships and of rekindling fires from the ashes of misunderstanding. And if you've never had a misunderstanding, then you've never had anything. There are plenty of misunderstandings, enough to go around. If you'd like a few, well, I think you could pick up some here almost anywhere. Just listen to some of these fellows. They'll give you some of theirs. Amen. But you, friends, you can take misunderstanding, and from the ashes of misunderstanding, you can put things back together again. Amen. Amen. You can have a you can have a marriage that's falling apart. You can have a marriage that's on the rocks. You can have a marriage that's uh, that's teetering on the on the verge of collapse. It can be brought back. I know what I'm talking about a little bit. I've had I've had young couples that were what. I was there on their wedding day, and I've been there when they've had high times, and I've been there when the firstborn got around, all these good things happening, and they had such a wonderful time. And then after 10 years, or 15 years, or sometimes 20 or 25 years, here's the marriage going on the rocks. And they say, well, there's nothing there anymore, nothing in my heart for her anymore, nothing in my heart for him anymore. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. The fire can be rekindled again. It can't, if you want it. Oh, I know there's misunderstanding. I know the ashes are there. I know they taste rotten. I know there's nothing palatable about them. But I also know that God is able, out of the ashes of misunderstanding and misrepresentation and even lies, out of it, if, if two people really want to put things together, they can. If a, if a man and a woman want to get things together, they can. Amen. And that's one reason why I'm slow on this divorce and, the, and remarriage thing. You've got to, it takes time. We're living in a horrible, horrible day of divorce and remarriage and shattering and battering of homes. But my friends, somehow or other, there's nothing wrong in taking a little more time. Make your mistakes slowly. Take time. At least you won't be able to blame it on haste then. Forgiving love restores us from the past and restores hope and it heals the wounds. I've seen good things happen. I've seen marriages come together. I've seen homes blossom. I've seen lives that were blighted by with ruin and, dis, and decay and degeneracy. I've seen them be fruit, fruitful and blessed in God. I've seen men and women that have given up hope. Some had given up hope physically. And some who were down mentally and emotionally and physically as well brought back to health and hope and, and happiness in God because of forgiving love, because they forgave. Forgive even as God forgives. How many times has God forgiven you? I'm still in my introduction here. Don't worry. I'll, I may get there sometime. It's not important whether we find introductions in this uh, afternoon service or not. It is important that we get to people's hearts about this matter of forgiveness. And I have, I, I, the entire holiness movement, of which I love and appreciate very deeply, needs a baptism of forgiving love. Whether it's the Bible Methodist in Alabama or Tennessee, or whether it's the uh, Church of God Holiness in Kansas City, or the Pilgrims up in New York, or whether it's the Independents bobbing around the country trying to survive, they, we all need forgiving love, and the local churches need forgiving love. Not only those big shot denominational leaders needed Alan Brown, but the little people like myself down there on the local level, that just uh, where there's only a handful of 50 or 60 or 70 people, we need it right down there. You need it right back there in the home where you live. Amen. Forgiving love has the power to take care of the past, and it has power to chart a new course. If you want a new course, forgive. If you want somebody else to have a new course in life and a new lease on life, forgive them. Just release them. Let them go. That's what forgive means. 
It means to untie them. It means to loose them. It means to free them, to let them go. Well, I'm afraid of what they're going to do. You quit being fearful. Turn them to God and forgive them. Just forgive them and leave them in God's hands. He'll do far more with them and for them than you ever dreamed of. Amen. And forgiving love gives us the power to craft and fashion a new future. Well, briefly here in the closing moments of this service, and I don't intend to keep you long. I know you don't intend to stay long. So why not agree? I'll let you out early if you'll stay late. Okay? Forgiving love is the only way to resolve some problems, and I'm going to mention about 16 of them quickly and release you. Forgiving love, and I'm not going to be talking about dandelions, butterflies, stars in the sky, or asteroids. I'm going to be talking about us. Forgiving love is the only way to resolve some problems. I'm talking about serious, very serious problems. For instance, like incest. Incest is a very real problem in our churches. It's a real problem here in our schools. I don't mean Hope Sound, I mean all our schools. Incest is a very real problem. I know some of you don't know what the word means, but get a dictionary and look it up. It means where a father has improper relations with his daughter, or where a mother has improper relationship with her son or a variety of other issues, but all basically the same way. It's sexual satisfaction outside of wedlock. And there's a lot of it. There's just a lot of it. There's a whole mess of it. If you take Time magazine, or if you take U.S. News and World Report, or read the daily paper, you'll see where the Catholic Church is in up over its eyebrows with priests. Men who have been in the priesthood for 25, 35 years who've been molesting boys or molesting women or both. And, but it's not a problem of the Catholic Church. And I get a little bit tried with people just sort of bashing Jimmy Swaggart and whoever, that other Baker guy or whoever they all were. We've got our own moral problems right here in the church. Amen. There are some of them sitting right here this afternoon. They're not out there playing, goofing off at golf. They're right here this afternoon. We have our own problems. A lot of the uh, sexual sins that are covert in our time, some not so covert, are very real problems. Some people want to get out. Some people want to be delivered. It's interesting to note that the churches, the church at Corinth, as well as many of these New Testament churches, had sexual problems. There are sexual problems in our church. There are sexual problems between husbands and wives. There are sexual problems between women and women. There are sexual problems between men and men. To say nothing of between men and women. And I'm not, I can't tell you that. All I can say is that if you really want out the counseling and help of the Bible preacher and the Bible and the right good wholesome counseling, get Bible-based wholesome counseling, there is a way out. You can find forgiveness. You can find release. Maybe there's someone here today that has had a child out of wedlock. Or maybe you didn't have the child out of wedlock. Maybe you had an abortion. Maybe you're wondering what to do. I think it's time the Pope had held out some hope to these people whose lives are shattered and battered and bruised, who've been taken advantage of from time to time by somebody else as a counselor, whether it's the Planned Parenthood or who it was that gave you the advice. They did something that hangs on their soul like... It hangs on their soul like a purple pall, and they don't know what in the world to do with it. And they go to bed at night weeping, and they wake up weeping, and they take vacations, and they try to get rid of it, and they hear voices, and they hear a child's voice, and they hear many other things, and they wonder. And sometimes, I had a fellow stop by to see me some time ago. He thought he'd crossed the deadline. And I know there is such a sin, but I do think that we preachers better go pretty slow about the deadline business. We better make sure we put out a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of, that's Greek for hope. A lot of hope. 
a lot of help. So it's much easier to, to get people so caught up in their condemnation, so overwhelmed by their wickedness, overwhelmed by a sin, a secret sin, a, a subterranean sin, that, a sin that's out of sight, a sin that's not on public view. Some, As I said a while ago, your past is none of my business. I'm not trying to scour around and find out. I've known fellows that knew more about the people in my church, and I've known evangelists and others that seem to know more about my people than I knew myself, and I'd been there 20 years. I'm not interested in finding out a lot of garbage. It should be in the past, and it should be forgiven. It ought to be left there. And you're, you and I are not better preachers for, in trying to understand the psychology of the day by understanding all the problems of their past. So maybe there's someone here today that had a child out of wedlock. Maybe your child had a child out of wedlock. Some parents have a is anybody listening to me at all? I'm trying to get this down here. We can almost understand it. How many have raised the kind of children you'd like to have? Would you put your hand? Your, your kids just exactly. Well, he's probably like you. Would you put your, your kids exactly like you? First of all, I'd like to say I thank God my boys aren't clones of myself. Sooner or later, we come to the place in life where the seed we have sown is turned over to God. Sometime, Amram and Jochebed have to take little Moses to the door of Pharaoh's palace and call for the princess and say, ma'am, this is your little boy from here on out. You're going to have him. He's yours. This is the one we pull out of the river. This is the one uh, we've had him and we've been raising him for you and you've been paying our, a stipend for us to take care of him and now he's yours. And Moses, you go ahead now, honey. You go right ahead and you follow this lady here. She's going to be your mama from here on out. And he walks out of their sight and disappears behind the big walls or he disappears behind the marble columns and he just goes out of sight. And he's trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. He's trained in all their skills. He's a man of tremendous gift. He's a statesman. He's a poet. He's an author. He's a military man. He, you name it. And Moses will meet that qualification. And the first 40 years of his life, he's in, the, he's in the arms of someone else. And the first 40 years, he's in the arms of another system. But at the age of 40, and it came into his heart. <laughs> what came into his heart? It came into his heart to visit his brethren. And that's a long story. But you see, the good seed had been sown. You've got to sow the seed. Dummy, you've got to sow the seed. You can't expect to get the harvest without the seed. You've got to sow the seed. And the rest of the lesson is so plain. And maybe your, your child brought home a child. Maybe you're like a certain pastor that, whose wife got into trouble and she was in a distant city. And it was time for deliverance, and her parents had tried to keep up with her and find out what was going on. And someone slipped word to them and said, so-and-so is in the hospital, and, and she's about to get, uh, give birth. And by the time they got there, they'd all, she'd already given birth to a boy. She was almost 30 years of age, and she was unmarried, and some uh, sharp, fast-talking guy had taken advantage of her innocency and her and her dumbness, and so uh, uh, here she is without a husband, here she is with a child, and here she is deep in her heart, feeling rejected by all the world in general. But to that father and mother's credit, uh, they came and they were with her. She didn't want to see them. She turned her face to the wall, but Mama went on one side and Daddy went on the other. And eventually they got her to talking a little bit, and she talked a little father said, I, I want to see this little fellow. It's going to be my grandson. 
I want to meet, I want to see this little boy. Would you mind, honey, if we'd have the nurse bring him in? And so the nurse brought him in. And he held him. He said, oh, this is my grandson. And the daughter lay there, face white, hair black, crystal tears streaming down her cheeks, and mother sat on the other side. And when they got ready to go, the father said, well, dear, he said, uh, I'm going to tell the, the people at the church you're going to come home with us. Oh, no, you're not, Daddy. The people in that church would never have us. Not the way we are. They knew me when I was a girl. They knew me when I was when I was good and clean. They wouldn't want us now. He said, well, he said, I'm going to give them a chance. He said, they don't want you. They don't want me. So he went home. He met the, the board on that Wednesday night, and he said to him, he said, now, my daughter's in such and such a city, and you, the, the rumor mill has been going around. Yes, she's had a baby out of wedlock, and it's a little boy, and I've seen it. It's a lovely-looking little fellow, and he's in, he looks good and, and to me. And he said, uh, now, fellas, you have your choice. We'd like to bring the daughter home and with the child, and, and we'd like to... Uh, We'd like to have her raise the, the baby here and get a job and try to put her life together again. But I said, I understand, and if you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. Uh, but I do want you to know that I don't want her to go on the way she is. And, and uh, if you don't want her, then you don't really want Mom and I as your pastors. And to the credit of that board, every last one of those men stood up and said, calling him by his name. I knew him so well. Oh, they said, no. Bring her home. We want her. Sunday morning when she came to church on that Sunday morning, there were, there were three or four ladies standing at the stairs waiting for her to come up. She came up the stairs with a newborn baby. They had a baby shower. They had a lot of other things. That boy's a fine, grown young man today. He's gone through one of our good Bible colleges and is serving God. His mother, I don't think, is married to this day. But what I'm trying to say, somebody had forgiving love. <laughs> Maybe you've had a child who's had a child out of wedlock. It's happening all the time. Let me hurry on here. Maybe you got cheated out of your inheritance, your gun, the old clock. Maybe uh, you lost the farm in the deal. Maybe your brother-in-law picked it up. Maybe it was grandma's dish. Whatever it was. The only way to fix that kind of stuff up is forgiving love. Amen? How many got beat out of the family farm or got beat out of something? Yeah, I, see, I see that hand. I see that hand. Well, thank God. Join the club, pal. Best thing you can do is forgive them. Isn't that right? Just forgive them. Say, God bless you. If that, does you if that old shotgun does you more good. If that old grandfather clock does you more good than doing that. That's all right. That $20 you get out of that old dish is fine with me. You can have the family farm. I give you the farm. I give you whatever you want. You can take the clock. You, whatever the inheritance is. My dear friends, whatever you inherit in this world is not lo worth losing the inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. You better unload some of that garbage. You better let, let your brother-in-law carry it around for a while. Your, or your sister-in-law. Or, or your brother, your sister. Well, my kid brother always did get what he wanted. He never did have to put up with some things. And he always did have a paper weaseling in there. Here I took care of mom through all those days. I took care of dad through those dark days. And now they get the house and they get the farm. And they never turned a hand for him. But when it comes time to pick up the goodies, here they do. They walk off of the whole business. If you're not careful, friends, you forget to put away all malice and put away quarrelsomeness and You'll, you'll become hard and harsh and fail to be tender-hearted, forgiving even as God forgives. Maybe you've had a child that's divorced and remarried. Maybe you're dumb, like some people I know that say, well, now you can't come here. You can't come here with this new woman. This new woman and you, well, you can come, but you'll sleep in the attic and she'll sleep in the basement. Or some other dumb thing you might do. Now, you just have to forgive me. I'm just telling you like I see it. I'm trying to tell you that the only way to solve some problems is forgiving love. It's not by having them sleep in the attic, and it's not by having them sleep in the barn or sleep in a motel 40 miles away. 
There are some problems in life that will not go away apart from forgiving love. They just won't disappear. They will not walk out on you and leave you to your quiet little self. You're going to have to face the grim realities of life or what it means to be a husband or a wife or to have children that just aren't perfect clones of yourself. Amen. Now, I want to say this in self-defense. I don't have any divorce and remarried in my family, but I have a great big broken heart for parents that have a son or a daughter that's caught up in that kind of thing. A number of years. I, I'm trying to tell you how I feel about some things, how I feel God feels about some of these things. A few years ago, I was preaching about television and bobbed hair and and they were shouting and running up and down the aisles. And I stopped the, I stopped them right there. And that, it was at God's Bible school. I said, would you please stop it? Would you please hold it up here just a minute? I said, instead of us shouting the aisles and having a big time over divorce and remarriage and television and RC, VCRs and all this, I said, wouldn't it be great if we were brokenhearted over some of the stuff that's happening to us? Wouldn't it be great if we would weep between the porch and the altar and have a big sob, the sob of God in our heart over some of the awful deviltry the devil's bringing to pass on our sons and our daughter? Wouldn't that be better than tripping the light fantastic and walking the backs of the seat and turning handsprings here? I know the other gets a bigger appeal. I know the other side gets a lot more mileage for their money. But somehow or other, I think if you want to be near to the heart and the sob of the heart of God, you have to understand that God first thought of forgiving love and that you and I are to forgive even as God forgives. You'll say, well, do you have a solution for divorce and remarriage? Of course I don't, dummy. And neither do you. Thank you, Paul. He'll, he'll do that. Maybe, you, maybe you're married to a companion that's had an affair with someone else. Now, I'm not talking through my hat here. I know whereof I speak in all these instances. Maybe you have a loved one that's had an affair. Maybe your wife has had an affair. Your husband's had an affair. Maybe he is having one. How do you know? Sometimes I used to tease Lois and I said, well, how do you know what I'm doing when I'm in Hong Kong? Well, she said, I don't. Well, of course she doesn't. I don't know what she's doing when she's home alone without me either. Well, then how in the world does it hold together? Trust. Not just gooey, ishy, mushy love. Trust. Another aspect of love. Amen. If what you call love can't be trusted out of sight, then it's not love. It may be, and I, so I want some of you old codgers down there to turn your hearing aid up. How many of you have got hearing aids? Turn them up. I want you to get good batteries, because you're going to need them right now. Maybe some of our parents have been teasing boys and girls, teasing your son or your daughter. My son, what big ears you have. Well, honey, they wouldn't want you because your mouth is too large. Well, son, you just don't seem to get a hold of things. You're, so, you're sort of slow. You're sort of sluggish, honey. Well, I do hope someone will marry our daughter. I don't know. She's, she just doesn't seem to have what a lot of men are looking for, and I... Boy, I hope someone. Here she is. She's 22 now. Wow. Now she's 24. Boy, I don't know what in the world is going to happen. Are we going to have to take care of her the rest of our... Well, I know she's a little clumsy, and I know she can't play the piano very well. And I know that it's hard for her to fry an egg without burning it. And I know. Well, maybe someone will take a little time. It might help her. But you know, friend, this matter of teasing our children because they're dumb or because they're ugly or because they're awkward or because they're all thumbs looking down on them, slanting everything in a negative attitude concerning them. Well, what will solve a problem like that? Well, the children will have to have forgiving love. Some of you, I'm going to have to try to tell you children something. Some of your parents just don't know any better, dear. They'll never be any different. They'll keep on talking about your awkwardness and your big ears and your crossed teeth. And they'll talk about your crossed eyes and the other failures you have. And they'll probably talk about your, your punk grades you got in school. And they'll probably say, well, the only reason he ever did get any halfway decent grades because the teacher, that teacher didn't know any better and gave straight A's anyhow. And there are some teachers like that. 
I don't think there's very many. Alan Brown isn't one of them, apparently. Maybe your name has been scandalized. Maybe some of your member of your family has written bad checks. Business partnership and somebody's your partner, your good partner, beat you out of ten thousand dollars. Maybe you have in-law trouble. You know how to straighten your in-law trouble out with forgiving love. In-laws just don't know any better. I'm a father-in-law. I know we just we're just not too smart. And you mother-in-laws, you aren't too smart either. And if you don't have father-in-law problem, you have mother-in-law problem. If you don't have father-in-law problem, you have son-in-law problem. If it's not son-in-law, it's daughter-in-law. Jesus said that himself. He said in the same family, there'll be some against one and some against the other. And he mentions the in-laws and the outlaws on both of those occasions. How in the world are we going to get through without forgiving love? You're not going to get through without a whole carload of forgiving love. You're going to have to forgive. Maybe some of you folks, are, how many think you're in your old age? You're not, you, you're, you think you're in your old age. Did you put your hand up? How many are here this afternoon and you're over 70? Stand up. I'd like to see how many are over 70. Stand up, if you can. Well, look at there. Say hallelujah. Good enough. Some of them can barely make it. They have to hang on the bench in front of them, but they're here. Praise the Lord. You go to a nursing home and your children don't bother calling on you anymore. They don't ring you up on the telephone. They don't remember your birthday. They pay no attention to your anniversary. And you don't get flowers from them anymore. And you're sort of drawing your breath and, and looking for the undertaker. You look down the road and the undertaker's closer than the mailman is. And you just sort of wonder uh, how it's going to all turn out. And you wonder why no one cares. And I'm not talking through my hat. I'm talking... To some people, and I know people in the nursing business, I know people in the home care business, I know people in the condominium business, and they'll say that the anniversaries and birthdays will come and go, and the son or the daughter who will get all the inheritance in the end never bother making a call, never bother uh, dropping in to ask how they are, never try to find out how their mother or their father happens to be getting along. My friends, if you call that Christianity, you better go tell somebody else about it. Please don't mention it in my presence. Amen. But sometimes old people can get crotchety, and when the children do come in, they say, well, why wasn't you here before? And they sit there, and they grump, and they want to be babied like they had to baby their kid uh, 80 years ago. Now they want someone to baby them, you know, and, and they just want someone to cluck them under the chin and make a big fuss over them. But parents, you and I might as well make, make up our mind to one thing. When thou wast young, you went about and did whatsoever you would. But when you're old, another will lead thee whithersoever thou wouldest not. And you're going to have to forgive them whether they pay any attention to you or not. Just be sure that you're not so grouchy, you're not such a curmudgeon, you're not so difficult to get along with, that when they do come to see you, you don't remind them, well, how come you never call me? Why is it you just don't bother? Don't you realize it's lonely around here in this old place? Oh, old people in these rocking chairs going back and don't you realize that? And your kid feels like, well, oh, God, help me get out of here as quick as I can. And so you give her a quick pick on the cheek and get out of there and say, Whoosh. when they come, be sweet to them. Be kind. Now, now, this is the kind of stuff where they can run up and down the aisles. Here we got aisles six feet, eight feet wide. Nobody's, nobody's taking a turn. Nobody's doing anything happy. Paul's the time to quit. It's getting awfully close, isn't it? <laughs> He's my friend. Maybe your wife deserts you. You come home and you find a note on the table. Does it do any good to hold a grudge concerning the old gal who made some dumb play and went to the far country? Doesn't do any good. Forgive her. Drive on, buddy. You say, it's easier said than done. I know it. How do you know it? Well, I haven't had to do it with my wife, but I've had to do it with some other things in life. And I find out the best way to do is by the grace of God, release them to God. Release them to the Holy Spirit. And bid them God's speed in the direction they're going. And say, oh God, pour sweetness and love and light into my heart and don't let me get crotchety and sour like some old people I know. Maybe you got voted out. Or failed to get voted in. Maybe you're mad at God, like 
You'll find in Psalm 73 where the psalmist, the psalmist was sour on life and he was sour on God. He was sour on about everything. If you look at Psalm 73, you'll notice there that he was sour by what he saw. The richer increased every day. They got along some good. Then he got sour by what he couldn't understand. There, they have more than their heart could wish and their eyes stand out with fatness. And, and then he was soured by what he couldn't manage. He couldn't manage things. And sooner or later, all of life gets to some place that you can't manage it. Did you know that? You can't manage it. You guys that have youngsters around, you can say, sit down. And they said, stand there. And they stand. But Ann, they're growing up. They're getting where you can't stay, stand. They'll say, for how long, Mom? See you after a while, Mama. And they're on doing their own thing. No, no, that's not it. Not it. Sooner or later, we can't manage life. We can't manage what we eat or what we drink or where we go. Forgiving love is the only way to take care of some letters that you wrote in haste. It's the only way to take care of some phone calls that you are too quick to make. You are dismissed. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fight. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.